This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 677 with Sarah Stewart-Holland and Beth Silvers. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 677. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers host the wildly popular podcast Pantsuit Politics, which was named one of 2021's best shows by Apple Podcasts and has been featured in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Good Morning America 3, The Guardian, Elle Magazine, and Parents Magazine. They are also the authors of two fantastic books. The first one is I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversation. And the second one, Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything. Sarah and Beth met in college before going their separate ways for law school. Sarah pursued a career in politics as a congressional staffer and campaign aide, and Beth practiced law before serving as a human resources executive. Sarah lives in Paducah, Kentucky, with her spouse Nicholas and her children Griffin, Amos, and Felix, and Beth lives in Union, Kentucky, with her spouse Chad and children Jane and Ellen. Sarah's dog, Cookie, and Beth's dog, Lucy, are beloved and involuntary contributors to their work. I love it when the dog gets to participate. (laughs) When I heard Sarah and Beth had a new book out, I immediately said, please come back to the show. So this is actually their second time on the show. And when I heard about the new book, Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything, I was like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Please come talk to us about that. They know how to navigate and guide hard conversations in incredibly divisive times in really critical ways that actually let everyone feel like they still have power and they still have agency and they still can be who they want to be and stand in their core values without having to end relationships over politics. I always learn so much from them. So listen in to hear Sarah and Beth share the difference between being a citizen versus being a consumer, how to talk to your kids about hard things, how to talk differently to boys versus girls about power and authority, the significance of moms owning their power, especially economic power as a voting block, how society has carved moms into smaller blocks on purpose, and how we need to sew ourselves together to hold more power. Oh, this was so (laughs) eye-opening. And lastly, how moms can more effectively use your voice 
and your vote. I loved this conversation. I hope Sarah and Beth write more books so they can come back to the show over and over and over again. So I am just so grateful for their work, so grateful for their voices and all the things that they're putting out into the world. So please join me in welcoming Sarah and Beth back to the Shameless Mom Academy. Sarah and Beth, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here and just oh, so honored to have you back a second time. Well, well thank, thank you for, you having, for having, us. having us. We're really glad to be here. So we're going to dig into all sorts of things today. And I love having both of you here and having two different opinions and learning from your both unique perspectives. So Beth, you get me the whole time. We get each other the whole time. Sarah will be with us half the time. So we're going to dig right in and get as much of the goodness out of the three of us together as possible. So can you two tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional lives beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now? Well, I'm most excited about the summer. I have a lot of exciting camps planned for my kid. My youngest seven-year-old Felix was diagnosed with diabetes and he's going to diabetes Mm. camp, his first sleepaway camp. Um, And my other two are going to sleepaway camps. And then we are heading to Europe for two and a half weeks in July. So I am very, very excited about this trip that was planned in 2020 and has just kept getting punted and punted and reorganized and changed and So I'm really, really excited about that. Summer is always a fun, if not stressful time, especially with kids home from school, but I've (laughs) got it packed. I've got the calendar packed so full. I think it's going to be fun. Oh my God. I so relate like fun, if not stressful, because our summer is similar. Like it's going to be so fun. And oh my gosh, it's a lot. Beth, what about you? Yeah, I have felt like work lately has taken on a dominant role in my life. And I am really excited because Sarah and I take most of the month of July off. And I feel like that's going to be a real chance for me to look at my family and say, I'm sorry about that. You have my full (laughs) and complete attention. And especially with my husband, just finding space to really spend more time together as a couple, not just as co-parents and co-leaders of this household, but to really focus on each other. I'm looking forward to that. I love it. I'm also like taking a note here, like, oh, it takes most of July off. Like note to self, maybe I should. I'm going to take that as advice for me to do this. Listen, no one's doing anything in July anyway. No one's like just I know. ready to consume podcast or, you know, people are right. like reading books and on vacation. I think Americans have gotten closer and closer. We're not there yet, but I think we're getting closer to the European model where, p- totally. where people really do try to step away and, and check out. And we're just trying to do our part. Yes. <laughs> love it. Just lead by example. That's right. <laughs> love it. So I want to dig into, you have a, so tell us the title of your, you have a new book that came out at the beginning of May. Tell us just a little bit about the book, and then we're going to dig into all of the good stuff around the book. Can one of you just kind of introduce us briefly to the book? The book is called Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything. And it is in conversation with our first book. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening because we we had a lot of people say, well, I listened, I listened, I had tried to have a grace-filled conversation and we're still in disagreement about everything. So now what do I do? And so we really tried to answer that question and break it down in a more detailed way because to say like, well, we need to talk to each other about these hard political conversations. Well, who's each other? Like me and my dad, me and my husband, me and my coworker. Am I talking about national politics? Am I talking about global climate change with my kids? Like it matters, that context matters. And so in this book, we really try to work through those different levels of context and offer some really concrete recommendations to see if we can get at what's underneath some of the conflict inside these relationships, what is politics being asked to hold and where we can, again, try to move forward. I love that. And oh my goodness. I mean, this is so necessary. I feel like your work just continues to be like increasingly important, significant and necessary, which good for you for your business, but also like, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't need it so badly? It's like every day it's, and I'm sure you feel this. It feels like timely in a new and even more urgent way. So thank you for continuing to put all the work out there. Let's talk about what happens when we agree to disagree. So what are your thoughts on this kind of, oh gosh, like I almost want to call it a cop out. I know that's fine. That's fine. okay. Great. Okay. So I'm like tentatively was going to call it a cop out. Now I'm going to just pull out. So what happens when we kind of use this cop out and opt out of hard conversations with people who th- see things differently than us? What are the ramifications of that? And Beth, why don't you take this one to start us off? I think we're just living the ramifications of that that we continue to only speak with the people who agree with us, that the gap between us grows greater, that more and more people decide that they're opting out of this whole political scene period 
you know, the greatest gap in American politics is not even between right and left. It's between people who are politically engaged and people who aren't. Mm -hmm. And that gap continues to grow as we agree to disagree, refuse to engage with these subjects, decide that it's all a little too hot to handle. And I think that it is only when we all recognize that we have some level of responsibility for what happens civically, not all of it, and less than a lot of us who are very politically engaged feel, we mm-hmm. all share some level of civic responsibility. And that means that sometimes we have to be in conflict with each other. And sometimes we have to influence other people and have to allow them to influence us, which is maybe even the harder piece. Mm. Um, yeah. When Thank we you do for that, that piece. Work, that part yeah. is hard. It's no fun. No one likes it. But, you know, if we could all share that load together, instead of having this tiny percentage of the country pretty obsessive about politics and everybody else only wading into it when tragedy comes calling and it feels urgent and also hopeless at the same time, I think we would find ourselves in a much more manageable situation. Yeah. Sarah, do you want to add to that? No, I just don't think it's working. I just, you know, how's it, I don't quote Dr. Phil a lot, but I do like how he'll say like, is it working? Like, yeah, how's how's that working working out for you? Because it's not, I think when we, every time we agree to disagree, it raises the stakes on the next conversation. Mm, Yeah. Um, And it compounds, that interest is, comes due, right? It just compounds and it compounds and it compounds until people don't feel heard. And so in an effort to feel heard, they scream and, you know, that, Again, we're, that debt is coming due in a million different ways in America right now. And, yeah. you know, I, went, I ran for office in 2016. And when I would knock on people's door and ask them for their vote, it was like, oh, this person has to listen to my political opinions because they asked me for their vote. And so it was just like this verbal diarrhea of like, mm-hmm. you know, I, it was the very first time I ever heard Alex Jones' name. And it wasn't even somebody whose door I knocked on. It was just a like a worker guy who saw I was walking around asking for votes and like decided I needed to know that Alex Jones was right about everything. Like it just, people have so much they want to say and so many things they're thinking about and they don't have a sense of belonging inside Mm -hmm. communities or families or conversations. And so they'll just like take any moment they can get because we've just, we've pushed those conversations. We've avoided the conflict. We've said, we can't talk about this or it's not even agree to disagree. It's just like the disagreement is, a fundamental disconnection that we cannot overcome. I feel like that's sort of the undercurrent of agree to disagree. You are fundamentally different than me. Mm -hmm. And so there's no point here. And I think you feel that separation in American life right now. Absolutely. I'd love to give an example. So I was talking to a family member about vaccinations a year ago, a year ago when vaccinations were the hottest topic around town. And now we're recording this when, you know, we're after a massacre at a school just happened. And after hearing that the Supreme court is probably going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And like, so like the stakes just keep getting higher and higher and higher. But at the time it was a conversation around vaccinations and the father family and I member, and I were on a different sides of the coin for sure. But what was really interesting is I wanted to be sensitive to, this is a family member who I don't want to sever ties with just because we believe different things. So I was like, I just want to listen. And it was so interesting as I was listening, as I was like, oh, I totally see why you think that. And I don't agree with it. I don't, but like I was in just sitting and listening. And I know you talk about this so much on your podcast and in your book and just sitting and listening, I was able to see that if I would have said, we're going to agree to disagree, which a lot of my family members have said to this person, then there's no space for anything. And that doesn't serve anyone. And so I've been able to maintain a relationship with this person because I sat and I listened and even though I don't agree. And even though there's had to be some boundaries when, you know, when my kid wasn't vaccinated and I'm going to be around this person and whatever, like I was still able to move forward in that relationship versus not having a relationship. And that meant a lot. And it was a good lesson to me that like, sometimes it's really important to just hear people out so that you can see where commonalities overlap and where you can see someone else's side. Adam Grant in his book, think again, talks about a very like particular vaccine doctor Mm. and he uses a form of what they call motivational listening. Like, and he talks about like, I just sit down and I assume their concerns are valid and I consume that their reasons are founded in, in real emotion. Like I don't have to condone them or agree with them. I'm just assuming that they're coming from a place of goodwill, that they want to protect their kids, that they want to protect my kids. And we've come down on a, to a different conclusion about what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But if you come at somebody like there is no 
goodwill here. There is no yeah. benefit of the doubt. It just shuts everybody down. Yeah, absolutely. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. I noticed in as I was preparing for this interview, language in a lot of the things, a lot of the content that was sent over to me around citizenship. And I actually noticed that when we, when I interviewed you two before, there was conversation about like right and left and Democrat and Republican. And there was like this language that was different around sides. And the language that was sent to me in preparing for this interview was all about citizenship. And I was like, this is fascinating because I like, they've done some work on their copy and it's, you've evolved the conversation. It seems like to not be about right, left, Democrat, Republican, but to be about what is the importance of being an engaged citizen? And what does it mean to just be like to show up as a citizen. So can you talk a little bit about that shift for you two? And maybe that was within your relationship as well as how you present yourselves to everyone else in terms of the work on the podcast. But can you also talk about the importance of being a citizen versus being a voter or political pundit? And Sarah, why don't you start us off on that? Because I know you have just a few minutes left with us. Well, I think Beth should probably start it because it's her journey that sort of led us to this. I'm just glad you noticed. Uh, I totally (laughs) noticed. We can't shake that previous language in a lot of ways, but it's definitely more Beth's story. When we started the podcast, I was a registered Republican, Sarah, a registered Democrat. The truth about me is that I've never been a good anything. I'm not a good Republican. I'm not a great uh, Christian. Like by by other people's definitions, I am a squishy moderate on all things. Mm. But I did 
politically have a sense that what the federal government needs to do in our lives is something less than my Democratic friends believed. And uh, that plus my growing up on a, a farm in a rural area and some of what we experienced as a small family farm led me to typically vote for Republicans. Everything really changed for me very shortly after we started the podcast when Donald Trump descended the escalator and eventually became the Republican Party's nominee. And that was just a hard pass for me on day one. And I think that the truth is that the party shifted and so did I in many ways. I am probably more of an independent than anything now, but I live in Kentucky where we have closed primaries and I want to vote in primaries. So I'm a registered Democrat now. Wow. So we don't have that right left dynamic in any meaningful way between the two of us. We're still different by personality. Mm -hmm. We have some different policy orientations. We gravitate toward very different political figures as people who we admire and want to see more from. So there's the, that's the between the two of us piece of it. But I would also say that the larger piece of it is that the issues have evolved. We are not talking about the role of government uh, in terms of tax policy and even climate and some of the issues that are real live issues right now, Mm -hmm. where our audience struggles and what they live in every day is just what you were describing. We're talking about vaccines. And Mm -hmm. am I going to go to this person's wedding because of how they handled COVID? And can I go back to my church because of the way they talked about race after George Floyd's murder? I mean, just too much has changed. It's all become so much more personal Mm -hmm. and not to be a broken record, but it all requires the participation of people who are never going to call themselves Democrats or Republicans who want nothing to do with that whole spectrum. And so I think what we can offer is saying, you don't have to do that thing to be an informed citizen who cares and contributes and to be aware of what's going on and to have a voice in it that is based on your gifts and your strengths and what you bring to the table, you can do that without being involved in, in that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Do you want to add anything to that, Sarah? Something you just said that I picked up on so quickly, we jumped to, and especially when we're getting heated between someone who thinks diff- is, has a different opinion from us, we jump to like, oh, everything's so political right now. But you just said everything's so personal. Mm-hmm. And that is such an important distinction that our high emotions are not around that everything's so political, but everything's so personal. And then there's the political ramifications of like how our personal emotions are touched by political ideology and political decisions and governance as a result. And oh my gosh, that's like a distinction that I didn't know, like a dots I didn't know I needed to connect. Well, I mean, it's all pretty interwoven. The politics yeah. is so identity driven and identity yeah. is yeah. very, very fundamental and personal to so many people <clears throat> yeah. because we have moved out of the realm of like, oh, we're not, we're not talking about the role of government anymore. Uh, we're barely talking about like tax policy. Nobody, we finally had infrastructure week. Nobody cared. You know, the sort of governance, the nuts and bolts governance is not what we're debating. We're debating abortion and mass shootings and these topics that really immigration that really, really touch on people's identities and personal experience. And so I think the other issue is that the other areas, other ways we might have worked this out with each other, either in civic organizations or churches or just face to face conversations are all getting funneled through social media Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just, we're not our best selves on the internet no. to say the least of it. And so I think that's also compounding that like personal high stakes, high emotion interactions that just leave us further and farther away from each other. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about what it means to be a citizen versus being a consumer? And this might touch on the social media piece. I'm curious the distinction there and why that piece is important. Do you want to kick us off, Sarah? Yeah, I think that all these institutions I was just talking about, we started to like not think about our participation, but think about our consumption. Like, Mm -hmm. do I like it? Do I want to be there? Am I giving it a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Am I, am I purchasing a place inside of it? Or am I really being a part of the institution? It's like, we don't think of ourselves as a part Mm -hmm. of the public school system, as a part of our local church congregations or a part of civic organizations, always on the outside writing the Yelp review instead of participating. 
And we really wanted to sort of scratch at that and what that does to us, what that does when we're just in a constant sort of consumer mindset where it's, again, we're just like thumbs up or thumbs downing things all the time, including each other. Yes. <laughs> including each yes. other, follow or unfollow, mute or unmute. And it puts us in this like very binary mm-hmm. orientation to the world. Doesn't leave a lot of room for nuance. It doesn't leave a lot of room for belonging because you don't belong as a consumer. You just participate, right? There's no sense of belonging when you purchase something, but there hopefully is a sense of belonging when you participate in something. And, you know, citizenship, we are connected to each other through that role. We share that title with 330 other million Americans. And what does that connection mean to us? Like, what are we doing here together? Are we moving forward together? Are we just saying, no, you're you thumbs down to this state, thumbs down to this voting segment, thumbs down to this demographic? Or are we saying, well, I am connected to these people. And so I don't understand anything about them, but I do know that we share this role together. And what does that mean for my life? And what does that mean for them? And what does that mean for how I think about them? Um, Because again, that social media outlook is just, you know, continue to silo, unfollow, block, move away from the state whose politics I don't love anymore. Or, you know, try to put barriers up to those people coming from the states I don't love into my state. And it's just, it's so, it's so disconnecting and it's so separating. Absolutely. Do you want to add anything to that, Beth? No, I think that's it. I mean, when you said a minute ago, Sarah, it's not even agree to disagree. It is like agree to be stuck. Just like as though we are all think this is really a wonderful place that we're in. <laughs> so right. let's just stay there. It's um, just going not so how, well. <laughs> it's not how anyone would respond if we were talking about the state of things. Absolutely. I want to talk about kids a bit. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us. We're waving Sarah goodbye. Virtual waving goodbye. Thank mm-hmm. you, Sarah. It's been awesome to have you here again. So Beth, I want to move to how we talk about politics and difficult news with our kids. Oh my gosh. When I first interviewed you two, it was a couple of years ago. So my son was probably like kindergarten, first grade. Now he's the end of third grade and really different conversations. And he's seen things and asking questions, or sometimes he's like not seen things, but I'm like, it's my responsibility to bring this up and make sure he sees this. <laughs> so <laughs> can we talk about how do we talk about politics and difficult news with our kids? instilling values, but not indoctrinating them. And I always bring this back to like, how are we raising critical thinkers? And that to me is the important piece, but I I would love to know your take on it. Absolutely. I'm staring at one of those about my moms that my daughter who's seven now made for mother's day. And one of the lines was like, what does she always say? And Ellen wrote, I love you. And I trust you. And I was so happy to see that she has heard that from me because I love you. And I trust you comes up all the time when we're talking about news stories. Mm. And I'll say, we're going to talk about something scary. I had this exact conversation this morning as we're talking on the day of news of a mass shooting everywhere. I said, this is going to be hard, but Mm. I love you. And I trust you to handle hard things. And I think that being able to handle hard things is part of being a person. And I Mm -hmm. need to give you some skills to do that. So I try to always make it personal. Like we are talking about this for a reason. Yeah. And the reason is more than just preparing you to hear it from other people. It, it is about the relationship that we have together. I try to start with just the facts in, in an appropriate context So if there's been a shooting, I will say, here's where people were and what they were doing. And here's who the people are. And then here comes someone with a gun and that person shot people. And we never understand why anyone does that. As hard as we try, we can never understand. But we know that something just breaks inside people sometimes. And they do these things that seem unimaginable to us. And now this community is really sad. And everybody who loved those folks is really, really sad. And we're sad because Mm -hmm. it affects all of us when something happens like this that makes us feel unsafe where we are, that takes lives that could have been, you know, that were important lives and that could have been important lives in the future. And so I just try to say, like, here is what happened. And then take any questions and really let them lead on when we're done. Mm, Yeah. And it's interesting to see when they're able to just move right on from something, when they draw a connection to something else. My daughters have said some amazing things about Russia and Ukraine. How old are your daughters? So my youngest is seven. My oldest is 11. Okay. 
And they'll make connections about like what's going on with Ukraine and Russia to things happening at school or things happening in our country. Sometimes I learn a lot from the way they process what we talk about. And other times they're just like, hmm, all right. And then they move on. And I let that right. be fine too, because I love mm-hmm. them and I trust them and I trust them to know what they can handle and where they want to be involved with something and where they don't. I think that's fine. This is a difference that Sarah and I write about in the book. You know, she has three boys and I have two girls. And so her perspective is the world will do an excellent job telling her three boys that their political opinions matter and that their voices matter and that they have power and authority. And so what she tries to do is really be the leader in those conversations to show I am your mom and a woman and a person with expertise. And so Mm -hmm. you're going to hear me as the authority figure in these discussions. Mm -hmm. Where I have these two girls that I'm raising, I'm always thinking, how do I help them know that they have power and authority, that their opinion matters, that they have a place in these conversations? So I try to set the table with those facts and then let them develop their own perspectives. And I'll talk with them about what values of ours are implicated here. I share how I feel about things when they ask me, but I let them ask. And I really try to, to elicit from them when I can tell they're interested and engaged with the subject, how are you feeling about this? What do you think? And I try to let it be temporal. How are you feeling about this today? That could change. You could mm-hmm. learn new things. You should learn new things. Sometimes yeah. your feeling about this should change with new information. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate that piece about how the conversation, like being objective, neutral, starting with facts, letting the kids lead in terms of length of conversation and how long are you going to stay in it? I think all that is so helpful. And then the nuance between talking to boys versus talking to girls. I'm also raising a white male. And I totally agree with Sarah that like, my child is going to, people are going to make space for him every single day of his life. (laughs) And so there's like this huge sense of responsibility to make sure that he recognizes that people aren't, a lot of other people are not going to have the same amount of space made for them. And so how do conversations shift then? And how is he being put in a position to recognize like, oh, here's what I think. And also, are we making sure that everyone else is being heard in this scenario and Mm -hmm. being seen and being considered, which is, yeah, yeah, it's, it makes everything like two levels. Like, how are you in the situation? And also like, let's think about how other people might be in this situation. Absolutely. And it's at least three levels, right? Because there's also, how are we in this situation? Yeah. Like what is being transmitted about how I trust you, how you trust me? Mm -hmm. Do you sense that I'm honest? Do you sense that you can ask me more questions if you have them? I mean, there's just a lot going on when we talk to our kids about this stuff and that can make it feel like a ton of pressure. Except when you realize that that's always true. That's true when we're talking about cleaning up after dinner. You know, we practice these skills constantly. So we can do it around these news events too. Absolutely. We know that moms are an important voting block, but not one that we typically think of as politically powerful. And when this came up in the notes that your team sent over, I was like, yes, let's talk about this. And I was thinking back to like, what was the docuseries with... Kate Blanchett, Miss Oh gosh, yes, I know it wasn't. She was um, America. It wasn't Miss America. It was anyway. Now I feel like. Are you doing a quick Google search? I just have to look. I have to remember. It's so. Was it Miss Americana? Something like that. That's what I was. Okay, Miss Americana. That must have been it. But what we saw in that docuseries was this group of moms who mobilize politically and. When I was reading through prepping for this interview, I was thinking of when you talk about moms being really a significant voting block, I thought of those women, like those women in the 60s who were at that time, you know, it was not what I would have been fighting for. (laughs) I would have been on the opposite side of them, but it was was a group of moms who mobilized and a group of moms who were like, we're going to show up, we're going to make sure our voices are heard. And I think that we... Constant, we need to be thinking about that in so many ways. And I think that we have a lot of moms. We have moms who are leading the charge around gun violence, and we have moms leading the charge around all sorts of things around women's reproductive rights. And so we have pockets of moms doing a whole bunch of really important, significant things. But in terms of really looking at moms as powerfully significant in voting, can you talk a bit about that and how we can recognize the importance of that power? Yes. Well, it was Mrs. America, MRS. Mrs. America. America. Okay. Apologies to Taylor right Swift. I'm pretty sure Miss Americana was the Taylor Swift documentary uh, and she would not want to be confused. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Important and so Kate, 
Kate Blanchett in that in in Mrs. America played Phyllis Schlafly, who advocated yes. against the Equal Rights Amendment. Yes. And yes, where uh, where moms go, so goes America often. And that's why we've talked for years about soccer moms or security moms or suburban moms pre-election to think about how this block might vote. The trouble is that always carves moms up into smaller mm-hmm. groups instead right. of thinking about all moms. And I think if we talked more about all moms and we might be moving in this direction post pandemic, as we look more at access to childcare, as we think about family leave and caregiving, we are in such a crisis in this country around these issues. There are lots of places where I think all moms have a lot to say. The other piece that I think it's that gets missed when we talk about moms as a voting block is the economic power of moms. Because Whatever the situation is in terms of income flowing into a household, moms are doing a lot of the purchasing. The purchasing power resides in the decisions of mothers. Mm -hmm. And so that gives us a whole lot of information about what's important to American households at any given time, at what kinds of companies moms are comfortable supporting and not supporting. I would love to see us, and by us, I mean those of us who are very politically engaged and especially people who craft political messaging, put those two pieces together. What does the purchasing power of moms tell us about what moms politically need? What are they Mm -hmm. having to go get themselves that isn't being provided? Um, And what does that tell us? We should see moms all over the country just demanding that no mother have trouble getting access to infant formula. Right. That should be just a universal (laughs) among moms that this be available in sufficient supply that our Congress, our president, our governors do everything in their power to make that happen. So I think that folks have been very successful. Professional political operatives have been very successful at carving moms up into small groups. And what we need to see are people who are good at threading moms together as a unit of people who have these responsibilities within families and who will have something to say about issues that, again, don't fall neatly on that left-right dichotomy, but that speak to what goods, services, and support systems are here so that American families can remain healthy and thriving. Do you think it's intentional that we've been carved up like that? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'm like, now I have, as if I didn't have enough things to be mad about today. Now I'm mad about something else because I mm-hmm. hadn't really thought that through. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Yes. It's, oh my gosh. I mean, the fact that we don't have the Equal Rights Amendment still, mm-hmm. to me, says everything we need to know about what the incentives are for people in political spaces around the mobilization of moms. Mm -hmm. Phyllis Schlafly and her movement did not uh, succeed only because it resonated with some women. You know, there were many, many men who powerfully invested in her, propped her up, used her, used that group of women. Mm-hmm. And I think that that gets recycled every time we hear about soccer moms, security moms, suburban moms, that there's something uh, racially coded about that. Yeah. How many people say suburban moms and mean something besides white middle class women? I'm not sure. Right. You know, right. I just I do think that we are intentionally separated from one another because we would be such a powerful block where we not. And because every interest group uh, depends on having a core constituency and having a core constituency means that someone's excluded from it. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Those are bad incentives. Absolutely. That's what fundraising requires and, you know, targeted ads require. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? 
You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. So how would you encourage moms to think about their vote and their voice? So for other moms who are like now having a whole new sense of rage, (laughs) um, but no, (laughs) no, this is super helpful because I think what I think keeps happening is I think that we keep having these and every week it's another wave of rage and it's always like, it just keeps getting like more big and more important and like more like the stakes just keep getting higher. Um, So how would you encourage moms to think about their vote and their voice. And also I think that there's just like such a sense of urgency to feel like you're actually doing something and it doesn't feel like one voice is enough. And it doesn't feel like one vote is enough for a lot of people. And I think that is where you see so much of the opting out and the complacency. So tell us what to do. (laughs) Well, I wish I knew everything to do. Um, Me too. I thought you would show up with like a list of three steps. (laughs) And I can. But the thing is that, you know, politically, a lot of what's available to us to do is totally dissatisfying, right? People start to get politically active and they're told, well, donate money. Well, okay. And then what? That feels terrible. Like it's yeah. good. Go ahead and donate the money. But right. like it doesn't meet the need that we feel when we have that sense of like, where is my power and how are yeah. things changing? Where they'll say, make some calls for this candidate or run for office mm-hmm. yourself. And if those are your things to do, do them. Great. I'm so glad we have people doing them. I would never discourage anyone from doing those things. Also, you have power in a number of spaces and influence in a number of spaces that have nothing to do with getting someone else elected, Mm -hmm. right? So I would think if you are feeling that sense of like, I need to do something, figuring out locally what work there is to do and getting together with other moms locally to do some of that work, whether it's through nonprofit organizations or whether it's through like just starting to show up together to school board meetings, that mm-hmm. is a powerful thing. Do you, yeah. Nobody goes to school board meetings and stays the whole time. Right. If you start regularly showing up with a group of moms, you are going to get the attention of the people on the school board. In those local yeah. spaces, if you take power, it is there. It is there, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, <clears throat> someone else will. Right. And so I would really look at, you know, if gun violence is the thing that's calling out to you right now, getting involved with a mom's demand chapter, because that's where you get that sense of we are doing something locally here with other moms that I know we can roll up our sleeves and work. Same thing around sort of the pro-life, pro-choice issue. There are local ways to start thinking about what resources are available in our community. How can I be there for people who are about to get hurt by the way Mm -hmm. our laws are going? Mm -hmm. Just It's so frustrating because it's another version of like, well, get organized, but you can get organized and connected. That's the critical piece, connected with other moms to start to do some of that local work in ways that I think are more satisfying than uh, send money to this person in another state who's trying to defeat awful senator whose name comes across your feet every once in a while. And I think that the element in there that's really important is the satisfying piece because mm-hmm. we're not going to keep doing things that aren't satisfying. And that's so right. it might be really hard. Like I'm the co-chair of my, the parent association at my son's school. It's hard, but it's mm-hmm. also, there's a lot of satisfaction that comes with it. So when I said I would do it for a second year, I was like, okay, <laughs> but I'm like, because I'm not doing it alone. I have a co-chair. I have a great team of people I get to work with. I get to work with the administration who I have a lot of respect for. So there's all that that's satisfying versus if it's just me like calling governor's offices, <laughs> zero satisfaction in that calling the mayor, writing an email to like the city council, zero, like I'll do it, but zero satisfaction. But like going to a meeting where people are like, let's do this and let's do that. And here's how we're going to divide up and, or, you know, divide um, up roles and take responsibility and move into action and really get from point A to point B together. 
oh my gosh, it's like a totally different level. It's a totally different commitment. I'll give way more time and energy to that, even though it requires much more from me because it's more satisfying. And you, like you said, the connection piece is um, so crucial as well. So you're feeling connected to something and having that sense of belonging at the same time. Well, and also as you get those small wins and you get that collective, that's when your voice starts to be amplified because people will reach out to you, not only as Beth Silvers, but as a board member for this organization or as the chair of that organization. And so you start to be able to be heard a little bit more effectively because of that slow, persistent work that you're doing in community with other people. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about our current politics and the world we're building and leaving for our children, what gives you hope? This is a big question for today. As you've mentioned, like we're really in the thick of hard things right now. We are. We're always in the thick of hard things in some respect, but it lands harder some days than others, especially as you start to think about your children. Yeah. My children themselves give me hope. And I don't say that to put pressure on the next generation, like fix it. And I I worry sometimes that when you say Mm -hmm. like, I find so much hope in our children, the kids are all right. They're going to fix everything. That's not fair. Yeah. But their willingness at this age to be thought partners with is amazing. And the person that I am becoming through trying to bring them along is pretty great. And I see that in all the women around me that what you become as you lead a family is tremendous. The qualities that it cultivates in you, the fearlessness that it creates, you know, I think you just, not that you can't have these things if you never have children, but think having a future orientation where you love the next generation, whether you have given birth to any of them or not. I just think it propels a level of commitment and seriousness about life. Mm-hmm that creates meaningful change, not all the meaningful changes that we want to see, but even with everything that is happening in the world today, if I were given the choice to pick when I live in history, I would pick now. We are aware of so much that we used to be silent about. We are asking hard questions. We are leaning into difficult things. We have technologies that connect us across the world to try to discover the best ideas to tackle some of what's in front of us. And so as rough as it is, there is no perfect moment in human history. And I think we are on that arc that bends toward justice in its long path. So long. (laughs) It's so long. I wish it could be shorter, but I do feel it and sense it. And I also don't know another way. I don't know a way other than hope. I don't know what I would be doing today if I didn't have a sense of hope for, for what the future could be for my kids. I mean, that's how... And you're so right, because that's how parents keep getting out of bed every day, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, like in so many ways that we can't opt out of things because you have to get up and do all sorts, you know, you have to get up and make breakfast and you have to get the lunch packed and you have to get the kid out, out the door and like, and, 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 and so like the only way to do that and be functional is like, how do you find the crack in those moments of those really dark moments? So When I was talking to my girls this morning about, about the shooting that we've been alluding to, um, I said, I keep this quote by my desk. Here is the world, beautiful and terrible things happen. Mm -hmm. And I said, so what I want you to know is that this is really awful and it's really sad and we can still have a good day here. We're allowed Mm -hmm. to have a good day. We do not have to sit and be sad all day Mm -hmm. um, because we can have beautiful things. The terrible things are not made better by the absence of beautiful things. It's the opposite. Yeah. Um, and so I really try to keep that in my spirit, um, Mm -hmm. that, that we are working towards good, even when we are suffering under the weight of what is not working. Yeah, absolutely. Beth, how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? I just refuse to be a cruise director this summer. Um, (laughs) Last summer, I really felt that we needed to have a Pinterest worthy summer that things needed to be programmed, that I need to make sure they were learning optimally, that their screen time needed to be limited in some ways. I am just releasing the pressure of that this summer. I am letting them lead. I have made it really clear that I am not a cruise director, that they need to set their own schedules and agendas. I have told them I will commit to an activity of your choosing with you every single day, but you have to plan that out for the week on Friday so that I can put it on my schedule. So I have appointments for art lessons with my older daughter, for reading books with my younger daughter, like wonderful things that we're doing together. It is contained and they are Mm -hmm. responsible for planning it. And I feel much better. And I think they do too. 
Oh my goodness. Everyone's like taking notes now on how they are going to manage their <laughs> summer because, oh, summer. summer. Oh, summer. <laughs> summer. And this is a th- this is another thing, like a mom block, I think could rise up to say the summer thing doesn't work. What do we want to yes. do differently? Amen. <laughs> you know? Amen. Oh my goodness. Okay. So Beth, tell people where can they find you and Sarah connect with you, the podcast, the book, all the good stuff. And we'll link everything up in the show notes. So really the front door to the house of Sarah and Beth is pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Our website can get you connected to all of our things. The podcast is Pantsuit Politics. It's everywhere. Uh, The book is Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything. We have a newsletter that also tells you all the things we're doing every week and would just love to connect with anyone that uh, this conversation sparks something new for. And we just are so grateful for the chance to talk with you again, Sarah. Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So we will link everything up. If people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Sarah and Beth, and you can find all the links that were just mentioned. Beth, thank you for being here. Thank you for staying in these hard conversations. If I was the host of your show, I quite possibly would have quit a few times by now. (laughs) It's just your tenacity. You're in Sarah's tenacity to just stay in the conversation over and over and over and over. And this world just keeps throwing so much. The world keeps giving you so many opportunities (laughs) to frame it in a positive way. The world keeps giving you so many opportunities to engage in really challenging ways. And I just appreciate all the ways that you continue to move conversations forward so that we're not staying in these places of being stuck, being complacent and feeling like we're not taking action, not getting results. Um, Because on any given day, we can find reasons to feel that way. So thank you for the incredible work that you two are both doing. That's so generous. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.